Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictive compulsive behaviors. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Claudia Lewis is a first-time author of the book Happy, Silly, Wise, Creating a Magical Life in Challenging Times. She's also a licensed psychotherapist, yoga, meditation teacher, and spiritual seeker. Tired of never feeling quite enough, she left her home in Great Britain on a spiritual adventure to find questions and answers of life. Claudia now lives in Los Angeles, where she runs a thriving private practice, supporting people to heal and grow. She has spoken and presented widely on various topics of healing and change. Claudia can be found at www.claudialewistherapy.com or www.spiritnature.com. Good morning, Claudia. I am so glad that you could join us once again. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's it's interesting. I was looking back at our 90 plus podcast episodes and you're the first guest to come back for a second time. I feel so honored. <laughs> Today, we're going to be speaking with Claudia Lewis about her book entitled Happy, Silly, Wise, Creating a Magical Life in Challenging Times. Thank you so much again, Claudia, for being here today. It's absolutely my pleasure to be joining you again. Thank you, Andrew. To start off, I, I really do want to understand the context of the book because it is so special and, and our, our listeners will understand why in a few minutes, but what was your inspiration for, for writing this book? Well, by all accounts, I have an amazing life. And in 2015, which is when the book starts, had an amazing life back then. In many ways, I had markers of success uh, and happiness, quote unquote, that we all look for and desire. I had children, I had a successful career, friends, community. And yet within that, there was an ongoing gnawing feeling inside me, something that wanted more, something that, that felt there was something out there that I had yet to discover, um, almost a, a discontent or an unease inside me that pushed me on to keep searching and searching for answers. And I, traveled the world, did many spiritual investigations um, into various different forms of practice and psychology to try and find this. And it wasn't until I met James, who is um, talked about extensively in the book, that I really began a deep perspective shift from what my life had been prior. So just to explain a little bit more about that, James is a clairvoyant who is the founder of Spirit Nature, which is an approach to life to begin living more compassionately and passionately. So it's a spiritual movement of increasing consciousness 
through perspective shifts on how we live. With James, I, I met weekly with him for a period of up, right up to present, in fact. So 2015 till now, having deep conversations about my life, uh, what I wanted, what I thought would make me happy and wasn't. And all of this is explored in the book in themes of creativity, prosperity, um, manifesting sexuality and orgasm, all as a part of really asking who am I and why am I here? Mm. So just the little questions, in other words. Just the little questions, exactly. For, for our listeners, um, clarification, you mentioned James as a clairvoyant, and yes. I want to make sure that we we clarify what what a clairvoyant is and and who James is as a clairvoyant and beyond for you. James was born with the ability to see, quote unquote, everything in a person's universe, every thought, feeling, experience. He extends it into multiple lifetimes as well. So past life as well as this one. And he sees it in a neutrality. This is important to, to state that he isn't coming in with a judgment of any sort. He's experiencing it in a very compassionate and neutral way just to experience who you are in every different aspect of you that goes beyond what regular people might see into the unseen. To say that he touched your life would be an understatement. It would. And I wanted to just go back to what you said about 2015, because it sounded like you had a lot of really positive things going on in your life at the time. But you said you had a gnawing feeling underneath that, that was telling you that you wanted more. Can you share a little bit more about the gnawing feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, it was something that I think so many of us move through the world with and seek to either soothe or explore externally. And some of that is the spiritual exploration that I mentioned before, and some of it may result in us seeking to soothe through compulsive behaviors, uh, destructive behaviors, um, approaches to life that don't necessarily serve us or might not be in our, our best interests, let's say. So um, in my case as a woman, a lot of this was related to feelings of not being enough. And I think this is something that many, many of us struggle with, regardless of what our gender may be. Uh, am I enough in multiple contexts? Even when I do all of these things and have all of these things, is it enough and am I enough? Mm -hmm. That was really the beginning of the, the question of going into more of this exploration that I discuss in the book. So tell me if I'm getting this right. So is it enough is referring to, in a way, the external, like, is my life on the outside enough? And then there's the internal questions, of course, of am I enough? Yes. And so I feel as if it's both. Exactly. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the two are very closely related. Because if I'm not enough, then the moment is never going to be enough. I'm always going to be having this, this feeling or this seeking of there needs to be more, there needs to be bigger, there needs to be better, because I have this internal energy, this vibration of, well, I'm not enough, so then the moment can't be either. There's not a contentment and an ease with the moment. Mm -hmm. So maybe you answered part of this already, but this not enoughness, 
sounds like a universal condition that that really it's almost in everyone unless maybe you're a guru on in tibet or something that that even then probably doesn't transcend the not enoughness but but say more about that theme because it 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 sounds like whether we're talking about someone in trauma recovery addiction recovery life recovery that it, it it just is everywhere it is and i want to be sensitive as well to the fact that for some of us this is exacerbated through certain childhood factors as well mm. but what i specifically talk about in the book is that we are all living in a construct that is a hierarchy and we're going to understand this particularly as um, people that might not be in the dominant culture, although I think everybody can perceive this, mm. that there is a hierarchy where we may place some people above us and other people beneath us. And often in the US culture, we see this around money and status, that, mm. that that's somehow the answer and that people that are wealthy can do all manner of things, but because they have that wealth, it puts them at the top of the hierarchy with other people in various rankings underneath that based on a number of different factors. So it essentially creates this striving where we're perceiving that other people may have more or be more, and so we aren't enough. And in that striving, we may over effort, we may perform, we may pretend, but we are constantly in a striving to move up the hierarchy in some way. That sounds like a lot of work. It's so much work. It's exhausting. Yeah. To constantly be in that externalized reference point of needing to do more and be more rather than just being. And unfortunately, mm. in every culture around the world, but particularly this one, there isn't a value for being. There's more of a value for doing. Mm -hmm. And being doesn't mean being lazy. It doesn't mean not doing anything. It means that I have a value for me existing right now just for who I am, rather than having to do something to have that value. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I just want to take that in for a moment, because I think that idea of human being versus human doing is everywhere, especially in our culture that there's so much emphasis on the doing um, that defines who we are rather than being unconditionally loved and accepted for exactly who we are. Exactly. And, and one of the first things that people often ask when they're introduced is, what do you do? Right? That mm -hmm. becomes the mm -hmm. identity rather than a freedom of connection and just enjoying the other person. Right. Is that the case in England? Because I know some countries do not start with that question, but I know in America, it's almost always the first question. It's very, it is very American. It is. Uh -huh. I, I think it exists elsewhere as well, but possibly not in as strong a fashion. Um, there can be other identities beyond that. Not necessarily around being, I might say. People are judging and, and perceiving in many different ways. Uh, without necessarily allowing a person to just be. So can you share a little bit about your journey towards embodying the idea of human being versus human, de human doing? I can. It's a tongue twister. It is a tongue twister, isn't <laughs> it? This took several different forms for me. The first one that I really looked at and continue to is trying to get out of seriousness. 
so when we're over efforting and in some kind of a performance, it can really lose its joy and its silliness. And this points partly to the title of the book that we take everything so seriously. We can't take ourselves with just a grain of salt and it becomes a serious striving that really doesn't feel very good. So for me, beginning to laugh at myself a lot more, whether it was just some silly little mistake or some huge mistake, went a long way in beginning to reduce some of this taking myself so seriously and trying to, to do more and be more. Mm-hmm. So that was the first aspect I looked at mm-hmm. and is a, a, an ongoing process, might I add. The, the next thing that I was very focused to was creating in a real freedom of self. I wouldn't necessarily have described myself as a creative person prior to meeting James. There were maybe some, um, some things that I enjoyed doing a little bit on the side, but it wasn't a significant part of my life. And one of the themes of creativity that ties into everything we've been discussing today is that so often we might create for other people. Well, will people think it's good enough? How will it be judged? How will it be received? How can I craft this so that it looks good or sounds good? So creativity cannot thrive and exist within that construct. Judgment kills creativity. So I began with James's help to create just for me. How can I write? How can I paint? How can I sculpt any different form of creativity just for the joy of it without needing to produce something that somebody may or may not like, which will really destroy its originality? (laughs) These were two of the themes that I really looked at, along with what I'll broadly term as my self-concept, how I view myself as a person and a woman, and really shifting that into a much more positive, heart-centered affirmation of self. So turning down the critique, turning down the analytic, really being in a much more positive vibration, and you mentioned earlier, unconditional self-love. So being in a place of a lot more acceptance and love of self, rather than being in this competitive mindset with myself or other people. Mm. So I'm just going to go back and and summarize because I don't want to lose the power behind each of those areas. So I heard to to reduce seriousness and, and I heard not taking oneself so seriously, laughter. I added fun in my mind. Yes. And, and silliness, Andrew. Silliness. Goofiness. Happy. That's right. Oh, love it. Love it. So it, it's also going back to the little kid, right? Because little kids mm-hmm. hopefully can have that uninhibited silliness, goofiness, um, just part of who they are. So- and you, you bring up another really interesting point, playfulness. Mm-hmm. How do we play? we're in seriousness we're not playing Mm -hmm. how can we play in our lives in our relationships it's a very wonderful question to begin introducing i almost want to start a 12-step for being in recovery from seriousness absolutely and and the two of us will be at the head of the room right (laughs) yes we can share about our experiences healing out of that exactly And, and just to also say that you mentioned this is a practice. This is not a one and done kind of deal. This is a lifestyle 
from the inside out kind of shift, right? Exactly. It's being in a lot more of a gratitude, a, a playfulness. It's an approach to life that shifts us out of this construct that I've described into a lot more of a heart affirmation. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that heart affirmation piece. I want to bottle that up and take that with me. I also know that that you have really had fun with your creativity and I've seen your paintings and, and your different um, playfulness actually with your art. And, and not only is it really wonderful to see because I know you and love you, but also because it, it just is so expansive. Thank you so much. It's been a real journey of exploration for me um, that absolutely anybody can begin to do and embrace. How do I feel when I'm looking at a blank canvas? What happens if I make a quote unquote mistake? Could that mistake actually work for me and enhance the painting? I can just paint over it if I want to. And it's been a great metaphor for life and for really exploring who I am because we're creating our life moment to moment. For sure. Part of what I'm, I'm hearing you share today is that there was a, a real voice inside of you that knew that, that you wanted a greater and more expansive exploration of yourself, both internally and externally. And I love that because I'm so inspired by you in that way. But also because I think our, our listeners can apply it to themselves in different ways. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, as we were preparing for this is you, you asked the question, how can healing out of not feeling enough assist in building healthy relationships in recovery? Because I think healthy relationships, first of all, a lot of us don't even know what that really means or looks like. But, but secondly, this not enoughness is such a barrier. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about how that works, how that's worked for you, how you see it working for clients and, and just anything that could really assist in, in creating some kind of direction uh, therapeutically. Mm, absolutely. Yes. Well, it's very difficult in relationship if we don't feel as if we're enough to see the other person as enough. And that's when we might begin to go outside the relationship, critique in the relationship, blame in the relationship. So the more that we can feel as if we're enough, the more that that can extend to the other person. And if two people are able to both be in their enoughness, then we're looking at a co-creative relationship. How do we create together? That's a lot more fun than a person being one up or one down in any kind of relationship. And it begins to expand into this idea that we touched on earlier about the moment then being enough. I'm enough, you're enough, we are enough. This moment can be enough. And then that, that's then a remarkable foundation for living a lot more passionately, living with a lot more of this fun, happy vibration that we're talking about. And of course, within that, there are many things that we can learn around effective communication, around how we can respect and, and treat another person. But what I'm really referring to is this vibration um, that's a lot more loving, that's a lot more affirming to the other person, encouraging to the other person. Mm. And this then bounces back and forth between both people. 
it become can become an energy in the relationship that fosters something very wonderful. So what I'm hearing in, in that is that, of course, two individuals need to have a foundation of desire for learning and growing, right? That there's that that space that that exists where they come together and and they want to to grow and learn, right? And it sounds so basic in some ways, but I, but I think what I also heard you implying is that there's something about deeper acceptance of one another, right? Not about changing the other person, of course, mm-hmm. and deeper compassion, going back to what, what you've learned with James or what seems to be a big focus of the work with James. So I'm not sure if I have a question exactly other than, well, maybe I do, um, around actually perfection and imperfection. I think that's what I heard mm-hmm. is that there's something about the imperfection of oneself, right? And, and this, the deeper acceptance of that and the, the imperfection of one's partner and the deeper acceptance of who they are, warts and all. Absolutely, so, yes. Um, and, and perfectionism is a very, very destructive force to both ourselves and the other. And a key aspect of this is really getting out of the competitive. Because when we're in the hierarchy and we're striving and we're over-efforting, we're immediately in a competition. Competitiveness has no place in a healthy relationship. Everything from trying to beat someone up the stairs to are they feel, you feeling jealous of them and trying to prove something, that isn't a, a happy, compassionate vibration in any way at all. So really getting out of this idea uh, that perfect even exists and seeing it really as just something deadly that's going to infect the relationship rather than um, being in a lot more of a loving, non-blaming, accepting way of connecting with the other person is going to foster something that just feels a lot better. I was thinking about the template or templates of love that we all grow up with, right? In our, in our families, in our communities, et cetera. And how a lot of the time, especially with when we're talking about addictive compulsive behaviors, love is very, very complicated. And there's something about breaking the family legacy and learning to love in a way that's really more this sounds kind of cold, but kind of more satisfying, more fulfilling, and that 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 love can be very multifaceted and and hopefully enjoyable and and all that. Which brings me to my next question, because what we're really talking about is this idea of moving towards passion, right? And and I know that's been a big part of of, of your book and of your your personal learning. So. Do you have any tips for our listeners for living more passionately, either in recovery in general or or in healthier relationships in recovery? Well, there's something that I want to bring up here that for me is cultural, but I think it exists everywhere. And that's the idea of constriction and limitation. So the British culture, I think it's, it's fair to say, has an amount of constriction in how to behave. Uh, what to do, what not to do. And this really does extend all around the world, but is particularly heightened in the British culture. And so we want to begin looking at where are we constricting 
where might we be limiting and where this is really the important recovery piece, where can we give ourselves permission? Mm. Where am I holding myself back where I could be giving myself permission to be living very, very differently? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's within a, a, a healthy and a, a appropriate construct, but really beginning to push past any ideas. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, no, no those kind of limitations that may be self-imposed, family-imposed, societally-imposed, because that's going to begin creating a lot more freedom that can then begin leading to passion. Mm, That's wonderful. So the image that I get is that there's these walls, and the walls are the constrictions, the, the limitations, et cetera. And unless those walls are taken down respectfully and and in a way that is is going to be helpful, that that's when passion is truly available. It's, it's there, but it's behind the walls. Mm-hmm. We have to be in a, a process of discovering it and cultivating it. And this is a very individual process um, that is going to be varied from person to person. For me, um, I, I now dance, I dance salsa. And that's a very passion-filled activity for me. You dance salsa a lot. I dance salsa, <laughs> I dance salsa a lot. It's been very freeing yeah. from all of the constrictions that I mentioned. But we're not talking about a one and done. You didn't just go one night and that was it. You go regularly. I go regularly. I took classes for a couple of years, actually, to, um, to learn the steps. And then once you have the steps, you can then begin moving in a lot more Um, of a more expressive, uh, less inhibited way. So it was definitely a process moving from a frozen person into the unbridled salsera that I am today. Fantastic. And that was my process, but for someone else that might be sailing out in the marina, it might be um, working on their tennis game, It might be learning how to um, throw a pot or sculpt. It can be any Mm -hmm. single thing. Play guitar. Play guitar. Yeah. It can be anything Anything. at all that Mm -hmm. may be of interest where you feel like you might be holding yourself back. Something that you've always wanted to do. um, Something that you do, but you feel a block with, creative block with. And really working to knock down those walls and be in a lot more freedom of expression just for you. Mm, right. Just for you. Just for you. Doesn't matter what it looks like, sounds like, what anybody else thinks, mm-hmm. you're doing it just for you. Mm, great. So, Claudia, if, if there were just a few ideas that you would like our listeners to take away from our conversation or from your book or from your explorations personally, what, what would they be? What would be, what would rise to the top? I would say as much as we can stop being so externally referenced, stop looking out there to define who you are and continue or begin or continue going within to see what is in there and develop that world um, in a much more affirming way. This is going to really help with enoughness. Mm. Being happy and silly and goofy and not taking anything too seriously while you do that. And then giving yourself permission to really be you 
beyond what you think you should be or anybody else might dictate. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'm not even going to touch that because I think what you just said is so sacred and and so meaningful and portable for, for each and every one of us. Once again, thank you so much for being with us today, Claudia. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to crossing paths with you soon. So do I, Andrew, very much indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. It was fantastic sharing the time with my colleague and my close friend, Claudia Lewis, and discussing this really meaningful topic. She can be reached through her website at claudialewistherapy.com. If you're so inclined, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us the next time. And don't forget to stay connected.